it's been said before that a Christian fundamentalist is someone who takes every word of the Bible literally, except for the words that Jesus spoke. Think about that for a second. Someone that takes the word, every, uh, every miracle, every word of the Bible literally, except for those ones in red. In other words, uh, the earth was created in six days. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Turn the other cheek. Give to anyone who asks of you. Well, <laughs> you have to understand the nuance, the Greek. Uh, you, you have to understand he, he's speaking spiritually. You, see, we start making excuses. Most of us probably wouldn't describe ourselves as fundamentalists, but, but we've got a little bit of that in us, don't we? That, 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 that aversion to those red letters, those are hard. Why is it? Why is it easier for us to believe that, that Joshua made the sun stand still in the sky than for us to believe that we're supposed to stand still when someone slaps us on the right cheek? Why is it easier for us to believe that, 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 that Moses parted the Red Sea than it is for us to believe that God calls us to part with our possessions? Why is it easier for us to believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale than it is for us to believe that God calls us to swallow our pride and forgive? Most of us don't have trouble with Jesus being born of a virgin, dying and then being raised to life on the third day. But we have trouble with this idea that we're supposed to live and act like Jesus did. Those red letters, those, those are the things that kind of get us. Those are the things that we really have trouble with. Believing in miracles isn't so hard. But believing that we're supposed to do the things in those red letters, that's difficult. So as a result, oftentimes we just uh, we, we try to explain them away. We try to make them mean not exactly uh, what's written there on the page. Uh, we, we, go, we go to the Greek and the Hebrew and we're, we're looking for, uh, for alternate explanations. Surely Jesus doesn't mean what this says. And yet we've got these red letters staring back at us, plain as day. And so I would suggest that we're not called to, to spiritualize these words into oblivion, that we're called to take them as plain talk, simple instructions. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at, uh, at, this, at this passage called the Sermon on the Plain. And these were uh, Jesus' instructions to his disciples about how to live. And it's found in Luke, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 17. And we're going to look at these words and we're going to resist every, uh, every temptation to, to come up with, with alternate meanings and to try to explain them away. And we're just going to take them as they're written and see if they can't change our lives 
see if they can't transform us into the people that we're called to be. So uh, let's uh, start this morning with Luke, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from, Jer- from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their prophets treat, that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. This is the Word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Once when I was in college, I went on a service trip um, to Orlando, Florida. Now, um, as a kid, I'd been to uh, Orlando many times before, but I tended to go to the places where um, Mickey Mouse and Harry Potter hang out and uh, less, um, less the inner city. And on this particular trip, we were off that beaten path, and we were, uh, we were in the inner city, and we were there to do home repair. And I remember um, just clear as day uh, being in that bus, and we were stopped at a red light. And I saw something that's just been etched in my mind ever since. See, we're in what I would call, I guess, the, the poor part of town. It was really slummy. There were, uh, there were uh, buildings that were, uh, that were closed and windows boarded up, uh, graffiti, people hanging out under the bridge. And when we stopped at this particular stoplight, uh, there was a man there pushing a cart. Uh, he had kind of a scraggly beard, and he was wearing sweatpants and a, a T-shirt with a stain on it. And, and he had aluminum cans in his cart. And uh, I knew, because people do this in Appalachia, where I'm from, uh, that he was uh, collecting aluminum cans to, uh, to trade them in for money. And uh, by the look of his eyes, probably for food and also for drink. I'd seen poverty before, but what was particularly jarring about this was what I saw just above him. There hovering in the sky was this billboard. And on the billboard, um, there was a, uh, the, 
uh, the, um, the face of a preacher. And he had this, uh, this slick back hair and this pearly white smile and this expensive tailored suit, this silk tie that matches the silk handkerchief in his pocket. And he had the name of the church and then in bright glittery gold letters it said, we're the blessed worship. And blessed wasn't spelled with dollar signs, but it might as well have been. Because the whole thing was against this green backdrop. And this billboard looked like this, this almost like this giant dollar bell uh, floating in the sky above this homeless man pushing his cart full of aluminum cans. I found that image so jarring. You know, this, this contrast, this juxtaposition from what was above and what was below. And I was thinking about this this week as I was reading this passage, because this is one of those that I have always had trouble with. Because when I think of who is blessed and who lives a life of woe, when I think of who is blessed, I think of people that, that look like the guy on that billboard. And when I think of people who are not so blessed, I think of the guy pushing the shopping cart. And if Jesus is to be believed, then it's the opposite. If Jesus is to believe, then, then the blessed don't worship at, at that church just like a converted shopping mall over there where all the people have those fancy tailored suits with the silk pouch thing and, and, and laser lights and stages and, and, and they all drive home in their BMWs. If Jesus is to believe, then, 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 then the blessed worship and the soup kitchens and the Salvation Army chapels and wherever that guy pushing the shopping cart of aluminum cans finds himself. And I don't know about you, but that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right? When most of us talk about blessing, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, you know, uh, good things coming our way. Most of us, when we get on our knees and, and pray for God's blessing, we're not praying to be poor. We're not praying to go hungry. We're not, we're not, when we say we're too blessed to be stressed, we don't mean that we're mourning, that we're experiencing intense persecution. And so Jesus' words sound almost nonsensical to us. It's easier for us to believe the, the billboard than it is to believe the Beatitudes sometimes. Because these words that happy are the unhappy, rich are the poor, hungry, uh, 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 full are the hungry, exalted are the lowly. I mean, that all sounds like nice poetry, but it doesn't actually match up to our lived experience, does it? I think to understand what Jesus is gigging at this morning, what, what he's trying to get us to understand, what he's trying to proclaim to us, we have to, 
sort of a dial back and, and look at how the people he was speaking to would have understood the concept of blessing. See, in, in Greek, there are two words that are translated into English as blessing, and they're two very separate ideas. One is eulogio, and eulogio is exactly what most of us think of when we think of blessing. Eulogio are the things that God or the gods bestow on people. Those, those sort of gifts that the gods or God gives, right? And so eulogio was, was, was this, uh, you know, if, if you were popular, it was because God gave you that. If, if, you were, um, if you were rich, it was because God gave you those things. If, if, you were, if you were happy, it was because God sent those blessings in your life. Eulogio are the things that God gives, the good things that God gives. And that's how most of us think of blessing, right? When we say we're uh, too blessed to be stressed, we're saying we've got too many good things in life, too many good things God is doing for us to, to be down in the dumps. But there's another way we talk about blessing, isn't there? When we say Aunt Faye is a blessed saint in the Lord, we're not saying that Aunt Faye has a lot of stuff. We're not saying that, that, that Aunt Faye um, has necessarily had a happy life. But there is something about Aunt Faye that is close to God. And to be close to her is to be close to God. When we talk about Aunt Faye being a blessed saint in the Lord, we're, we're saying something different about her, aren't we? That there's something almost set apart about her, that, that she has, has God's favor upon her in a very special way. The Greek word for this idea of blessing is makarios. And there's no test on this. You don't have to memorize these. But the important thing to realize here is that this is a different kind of blessing. This is about a kind of a nearness to God about God's favor, about God especially uh, being at work in the person's life. And this makarios kind of blessing is the word that Jesus is using. Favored is a good translation. Favored are the poor. Favored are those who mourn. Favored are the hungry. Favor are those who are oppressed for my name's sake. That God is especially near to those people. That God is not neutral. That God is on the side of those that are hungry. That God is on the side of those that are poor. That God is on the side of those that are struggling. That, that, that God that God doesn't just uh, stand around with, 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 with his arms up and say, I'm not picking sides. That God is not neutral. That he favors those who are poor and down on their luck. So this is easier to understand, maybe, but harder to accept, isn't it? 
harder to hear. We don't like the idea of a God that, that, that's not neutral, right? We like, we like God just being up there, being impartial, right? We don't like the idea of a God that takes sides. We'd like God to be the referee, not, not, not the guy that comes down and takes up the cause of the poor and the hungry and of the sad and of the dispossessed. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is telling us this morning. And he's been there all along, hasn't it? Isn't this, isn't this essentially the good news? Remember how Jesus' ministry starts. He goes to Nazareth. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's talking in front of his, his hometown a congregation. He unfurls the scroll of Isaiah and he says, I have been sent to proclaim good news to the poor, to recover sight to the blind, to let the prisoner go free, and to, pro- and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, I have come here to say that God favors. God has chosen the side of those that look to the world like they are unblessed. God does not stand neutral. God has taken up the side of the poor and of the sad and of the hungry. This is good news, isn't it? The the, the same God that that, that chose the, the, the Hebrew slaves over to Pharaoh chooses those who are oppressed today, chooses those who are poor in the world's eyes today, chooses those who are struggling today, and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's good news, isn't it? It is hard for us to hear. I was thinking earlier this week about one of my favorite peanut strip, like, like Charlie Brown. Um, I was thinking about it because, you know, we watched this Super Bowl last Sunday, and I don't know about you all, but I thought it, it was one of the m- most boring games I'd ever seen, like this punging competition between the two teams. And, um, and I, was, I was thinking about this, this, this comic strip in which Linus is watching this incredible football game and he, he, he's just so jacked up and excited and he runs out to tell Charlie Brown all about it. And he says, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, you wouldn't believe I just saw the most incredible game. The home team was behind by six points. There, there was uh, three seconds left to go. And, uh, and, and, and the quarterback threw this amazing pass and, 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 and his teammate caught it and he shook off four guys and he ran down the whole length of the field for a touchdown. He said, Charlie Brown, it was incredible. People were running out onto the field. Uh, the, uh, all the teammates were hugging each other and crying. People were rolling around on the ground. And then Charlie Brown just looks at Langus and in his way, he says, well, how did the other team feel? How did the other team feel? See, the good news about that amazing come from behind victory, that, that everything is going to be flipped, 
that, that, uh, that, that the, the poor are going to be on top and the rich are going to be on the bottom, that, that, that the sad are going to be happy and the happy are going to be sad. That is only good news if you're on the right side of the football. It's bad news to us that maybe think we have some of those woes coming our way. Because let's be honest, most of us in here probably don't think of ourselves as being wealthy people. But globally speaking, we have electricity and running water. We are the 1%. You know, most of us have experienced some tragedy in our lives, but we don't have this, the same kind of uh, sorrowful lives marked with woe, but like, like those people that live in those war-torn countries that just have one disappointment after the other. We get hungry around 4 o'clock, but we don't know what true belly-swollen, I can't think because I haven't eaten hunger really is. People may make fun of us if we uh, pour out, pull out our Bible on our lunch break or uh, try to invite someone to church. But we don't know the fear of someone kicking down our door and hauling, up off, hauling us off to prison because we belong to an underground church. We don't know real persecution, do we? And so, many of us, our problem with this passage is not that it, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes a little too much sense. And many of us worry, maybe we're just too blessed to be blessed. Maybe God is just giving us too much to believe that he is on our side. I have good news for you. The Beatitudes are not a rejection. The Beatitudes are an invitation. See, God is inviting us, Jesus is inviting us as his disciples to favor the people whom he favors, to take up the side that he has taken up, and to join in him in building his kingdom is an invitation. And, you know, uh, it may not be one we want to hear. We may be throwing up our arms and saying, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Easy with all this hippy-dippy Bernie Sanders talk. We don't want to hear it. This is America. We, we believe in, 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 uh, in, in the pursuit of happiness and working hard for things and, 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 and enjoying life uh, that you built with your hands. But we are being invited to care for those whom God cares for. To, 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 uh, to take the side of those whom God has taken the side of. We can be part of the great come from behind victory by changing sides in the middle of the game. By taking up the cause of those whom God has favored we too can be part of the year of the Lord's favor. Because from the very beginning, we Christians, we have been called 
to care for the poor. We've been called to feed the hungry. I hope this isn't news to you. We have been called to take up the cause of those who are persecuted, to be a comfort to those who are sad. And in so doing, when we care about the people that God cares about, when we take up the side of the people who God's is side, whose side God is on, almost lost that sentence, then we share in that blessing. We share in that favor. Once upon a time, there was a widow who had one son. And this son took care of her and made sure all of her needs were met. And she loved this son. One day there was a terrible accident and the son died. And the widow was beside herself. Her heart was filled with sorrow. She couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep. Weeks and months went on and she didn't know what to do. So one day she visits a mysterious priest and says, Father, my life has been marked with sorrow. I can't get rid of it. Do you have some kind of remedy for my sorrow? And the priest looks at the widow and says, yes, I know of the perfect remedy and I can make it for you. But there is a special ingredient I need you to find me. I need you to find me the mustard seed from a home that has known no sorrow. And so the widow sets out. And the first place she goes is this, uh, this, this mansion up on a hill. And she, she knows that, uh, that, that the couple that lives there is wealthy. They, they have everything in life. And she says, if anyone, uh, if any home has known no sorrow, it is this one. I'll go up there and ask for a mustard seed from the cabinet. And so she goes up the hill to the house and uh, she's greeting at the door. And, uh, and it's the lady of the house and she invites the widow in. And they sit down and they talk. And she says, I know that, uh, that, that God has blessed you so much and has given you uh, so many great things in life and that this house has known no sorrow. And so I was just wondering if I could uh, just have a mustard seed from your cabinet uh, to take back to this priest. And the woman looks at the widow and says, I would gladly give it to you, but the truth is this home has known sorrow. See, my husband and I are, we've been unable to have children. And I've suffered one miscarriage after another and prayed and prayed fervently and it's just never happened for me. And so, uh, and so even though we have all these things outwardly, inwardly, we have experienced true tragedy in our life. And so the widow stays with this woman uh, uh, for a day or two and, and comforts her and takes care of her needs and, and tries to make her feel better. And then she goes on her way and she goes to another home of people who are particularly religious and that seem really happy. And, and she goes there expecting to get that magic mustard seed, but finds that they have sorrow too. And so she spends time with them and she comforts them. And, uh, and she goes to one house after another. 
discovering that in every home she goes to, that place is filled with sorrow, that they have known tragedy in life. And so she stays with them and she comforts them and she tries to be a blessing to them. And after a while, she forgets that she's searching for that mustard seed. And she's just going from home to home, uh, listening to people's stories and being a comfort to them. And a little while after that, she, she begins to forget about her own troubles and her own tragedies in life. And she goes from home to home, listening to people's sorrows and comforting them. And a little bit after that, she even begins to feel blessed. See, brothers and sisters, when we are a blessing to others, somehow we share in that blessing. When, when, when we, we bless those who God favors, somehow that favor gets on us. And so we don't have to be uh, worried that, that, that when everything flips around, we're going to be on the wrong side of the pancake. Because when we favor those whom God favors, we get to share in the blessing. And so this is an invitation to us this morning. Imagine this church. If we took seriously this invitation... Imagine what it would be like if, if Sydney United Methodist Church stood up and said, we are going to be on the side of the poor in our community. We are going to make sure if they don't have a car, they can get to church. We're going to make sure that their children can get to vacation Bible school. We're going to make sure that if they're poor because, because of, of the cycle of addiction, that they get the help that they need. We are going to be on their side because they are the ones whom God favors. Imagine what this church would look like if we favored the, 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 the increasing number of, of children in our community who are, who are reliant on, on, on lunch programs to get the meal that they need to get during the day and on backpack programs to get through the weekend. What if we said these are our children because they're God's children and we are not going to let them go hungry in a town where Sydney United Methodist Church stands? Imagine if we took, if we took the side of those that are depressed, that, that, that we uh, ended this lie that, that, that if, if you have some kind of mental illness, it means that, that you're, not, um, you're not praying hard enough or that, or that God, God doesn't love you enough or, 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 or you'd be more joyful. What, 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 if, what if we were the ones that, that said God loves you exactly the way you are and that we're going to accept you as God made you and created you? What if, what if we were a church that looked at all people who are oppressed in our own community by cycles of violence, children who are neglected, women who are abused, and said, we are going to be on your side. We are going to get you the help that that, that you need. We are going to be an open door for you and a beacon of light. What will our church look like? 
if we were truly a place where the blessed worship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.